I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. My name's Raphael Rowan. Today I'm speaking with a man who spent 36 years in prison. Yeah, that's right. 36 years in prison. This is a difficult one to introduce, so let's just get straight into it. Ray Gilbert, welcome to my podcast, Second Chance. Now, when we read in the newspapers or we tell somebody that someone spent 36 years in prison, they they sort of fall off their chair. Did you actually spend 36 years in prison before you was released or did you spend and I just want to clarify this so the audience and the listeners can can get their head around what we're talking about here are we talking about 36 years from beginning to end until you got out or are we talking about 20 years got out got recalled went back to prison did another five years da di da I went away in March 1981 I was released on parole October 2016. I just want the listeners to take that in, okay? I mean, it's 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 a moment of reflection. I'm looking at you now. You don't look like you've done 36 years in prison. But I want people who are, you know, who were born 20 years ago that are listening to this or were born even 30 years ago or even 35 years ago to think about the length of time that you spent behind a prison wall in a cell, confined in a small space. And I suppose most people will ask the very same question you've been asked probably every day since you've got out, Ray. How do you cope in that kind of situation? I've had a good network since I've been out. Some people are very supportive and they're there for me. Some will check up on me every day I've got others who were there for me constantly you know what I mean I don't want to say too much you know what I mean but uh yes if it it wasn't for certain people and certain people now I would struggle you're talking about surviving on the outside I want to know 
what it was like for you on the inside. 36 years? I mean, how do you do 36 years in prison? I'd say I kept my sanity because I was constantly fighting the system. I was involved in all kinds of subversive activities. I was constantly ghosted from one prison to a to a other. I was swagged to the blocks on a regular basis, put on basic. And because uh, I was fighting the case, it kept me sane. Because because of fighting the case, I was also fighting other people's issues. So I would defend people on adjudications, add sabotage, workshops, TV rooms. I'd cause them as much trouble as, as I could. You know what I mean? And it, it kept me sane. The people I was around, some of them were subversive. Some of them were fighting their cases. So I used to sit there with some of them and we'd talk and we'd help each other. We'd... If we didn't have stamps, we'd st- uh, give stamps to each other. If we didn't have no bear, we'd give bear each other. So we used to help each other, you know what I mean? So it kept the head going. Even down the block, you had a camaraderie with people who in them days used to be very supportive. People used to stand with each other, where compared to today, people don't stand with each other in the prison no more. You could see someone getting dragged off and no one... Says not now. Years ago, you had, you had an argument with staff. The whole wing would be standing behind you, so you had that support which used to get you through. And uh, I actually met some genuine people whilst I was inside, and they were sound. You know what I mean? So it's just who you with, you know what I mean, and what support you get, and it helps. What about how things move on? I'm talking about. When you went to prison, mobile phones didn't exist. The, the technology that exists today, the, the clothing, the fashion, the, the, you know, the relationships that people develop. I mean, a lot of things have moved on in the 36 years that you were in prison. Can I just check, when was you released? October 2016. So you've been out of prison four years. So you started to sort of adjust to some extent with with, with life on the outside. But what was it like when you were first released, when you had to get your head around how society, culture, the community that you come from, your relationships with with those people that you built relationships with whilst you were in prison on a visiting table for the majority of that, that time? What was it like making that transition from prisoner, having spent that amount of time in prison and coming out into the, the, the sort of world that you came out into? I think it, it, it was a gradual step because I was I was being allowed out once a month for, say, it started off with one day homely, then it went up to five days. So I was seeing quite a lot of me family and speaking to other people by phone and, and, and all that. So I think when I got out, I was paranoid. I have an issue with paranoia. I have an issue with trust as well. So I also suffer from uh, abnormal levels of anxiety and stress. So I used to, I bought a bike, started cycling around the park for exercise, went to the gym, but then I stopped that. Got a job. I worked for two and a half years in a certain place. And then some people tried to cause trouble for me. So I had to leave that. And I haven't worked since, but I've got certain members of my family, certain members who are supporting me, and they've been great. 
they're like my rock. Without them, I'd still be fucking struggling badly. I think, you know, everybody knows that, that, you know, you can get contraband in prison. So I don't know whether a mobile phone ever passed your palm while you were in prison. So it wasn't so much a novelty when you got out, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I, I suspect there are a lot of people, including me, even though I've been to prison myself, that are still fascinated by how how you adapt back into society when you're discovering things that didn't exist when you first went to, to prison, you, you know, going into supermarkets, I suppose, doing a bit of shopping, buying clothes for yourself, you know, calling people on a mobile phone, using the internet, you know, seeing the kind of depth of television um, in terms of what's available, because I know in prison you have televisions, but you don't have access to the internet or Netflix and streaming programs like that. So what was that like? What what didn't you like about the world that you'd come out into? Well, technology is still an issue for me because I don't know how to use a laptop proper. I've got one. I've got a big TV. I don't even know how to use that proper to like to get things up. A phone, I get frustrated. I can send an email and all that, but if I need to go in and try and do certain other things, I haven't got no idea at all. So I had to rely on friends, family to help me out. Because, like, as you said, shopping and all that, I've got a habit if I'm going shopping. I can't go past a shop without buying chocolate or sweets, you know what I mean? Or if I'm going into a shop for something for myself, it's like I've got to come out with something. Like, it might be a top, it might be trainers, it might be tracksuits. I've just got a habit of I'm going to get something for someone, but I'll I'll end up going mad and buying this, that and that when, when I don't need to. So it's like sometimes it's like not a novelty. You know what I mean? It's like you go in and you just feel like a little boy in in a big fucking shop and you go, I like that, I like that, and I, and I, and I like that, and you want it. So it's expenditure. I do try and watch what I spend because I've got a habit of just wasting. I've been to, like, I've been to the cinema uh, a couple of times and like the new like 4D where everything moves when you when you're watching the the actual screen. I'm like that because I was in a chair watching some picture once and like. The actual seat was moving with with the geezer on the screen. He was driving a car. You know what I mean? I'm like that. Wow. You know what I mean? So things like that. You know, like brand new phones. I I mean, don't get me wrong. I did I did see phones inside. I could have had one if I, if I wanted one, but I just thought, no, I'm not taking a chance of actually blowing any any chance at all. You know what I mean? So I haven't found it that much of a struggle. It's just been things like technical things where I haven't got a clue. If I'm talking on the phone and I'm talking to an automated thing, I start getting stressed and anxious because I don't know, I'm like that. They don't understand, you know what I mean? And you're trying to get a point across. That's the only thing that I'm actually struggling with. What what about the conditioning, though? I, I often talk about how difficult it was to, to adapt to, to some kind of normality, opening doors for yourself, for example, you know, you spent many, many years having doors open and closed behind you, you know, you, you couldn't make decisions for yourself for 36 years, or at least a good portion of that time until, you know, you talk about having the home leave, which is a release from prison for a set 
period of time, but going back every day. What about those kind of those kind of issues where you were conditioned to survive in prison? And I'm talking about, you know, reaching for a handle, opening a door, walking in and out of a room, making decisions for yourself, you know, about whether you want to do something or don't want to do something at whatever time of day you want to do it. You know, you didn't have those decisions or couldn't make those decisions for a very, very long time, Ray. How have you adopted to to that kind of environment? I still have problems because you know what because i suffer from anxiety i don't sleep proper any little noise i'm up i'm looking through the blinds thinking you know what i mean i, I don't keep proper because of that noise so i am conscious on that i've still got issues with trust even before prison i had issues with trust because of what happened years ago i mean as, as, I, as I said you can meet some really genuine people inside who are sound, who are like more like brothers to me than uh, my own. You know what I mean? So that's the only thing I've I've found very difficult. I mean, for a while when I first come out, opening the door, I thought, okay, now the door's not getting closed behind me. But after a while, you get used to that going out and doing your own thing. I I normally go out every morning. It's like it's like a regime. If I haven't got a regime, I, I I'll just sit there bored, don't know what to do with it, with it myself. Whereas inside, I had a regime. I'd be up, gym, work, cook. You know what I mean? Some days I just sit there and I, I won't even cook a uh, meal for myself because I don't just don't know what to uh, do. You know what I mean? So it's uh, that kind of stuff probably is a... Uh, did you get much help being re-socialised, being you know, reintegrated back into society? I mean, you talk about being allowed to to leave prison near the end before you were released on parole. So you were going home or, you know, started off with a day a month and then ended up five days a week. Was that helpful in your reintegration back into society? Yeah, it helped me because if I'd, if I'd have just got thrown out, I wouldn't have had no idea how I would have coped. The fact is, when I was going home, I was getting picked up by my brother or one of my cousins, take me to the hostel. I'd spend it all day with them in, in theirs, you know what I mean? Getting used to seeing people I hadn't seen for, for years in the family, meeting family members that I'd never even met who weren't even born. So on that aspect, they were great. They helped me when I went from the hostel, got my first bed shit, then helped me again when I got out of the uh, flat. So yeah, they were there for me. So I can't moan because their support was there. I mean, you had spent 30-odd years more before you actually walked out of prison for the first time. What was that feeling like? How frightened were you walking out of prison for the very first time, having spent such a long time in prison? Oh, the, the first time I walked out was 2000, and I think it was 2012. I was in Guy's Marsh, and I went to a small town of uh, Shaftesbury for the day. Yes, I was nervous. I was anxious. I'm like, I was like watching everything going on because you know what? I don't like crowds around me. It makes me scared and paranoid. I'm like that watching everything. Okay, now walking down the street, seeing all these cars going past. I'm like that. Wow, this is fucking mad. All uh, this traffic. And then you're going in the shops and you're, you're like that. Wow. It, it just blows your mind. But I was, went out on, on the first one with, with a member of staff. And after, after the first one, it just felt like, 
normal. When I went out on, on the second to where, where it was, it was just like normal. I went back to, I went to Bournemouth on the second one and I went to Bournemouth on the, the third one. It was just like, to me, like I hadn't missed nothing, if, if you actually know what I mean. And And just before we move on, to why you were in prison and when you talk about fighting your case, what all that means. I just want to ask that that intimate question, you know, having spent so long in prison, what was it like for you? And I'm sure men, but women would be interested as well to know what it was like building a physical relationship with someone having been deprived for so many years. And what's that still like for you today? I would say I haven't actually built one. I mean, the people... I've tried to build one and it's like most of them think I, I carry too much baggage because of what's happened to, to me in my life. So I haven't really been involved in, in a proper relationship because everyone wants, wants to be your friend rather than have a relationship. So I'm still on, on my own. But you have had relationships since you've come out. It's just not worked out yet. They haven't worked. I mean, I think I uh, was with someone for about six months, but it didn't work because that person went went behind me back, wanted to wanted to check me out, and I said to them, "Nothing. I will sit down with you and I'll explain about my case myself." But person didn't, so it was ended because there was no trust. But no, I'm actually on on my own. It isn't easy to struggle but you know one more question before we talk about your case and that is navigating your 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 existence in prison requires a kind of persona and there are different types of prisoners you know that I know that anybody who goes and visits prisoners knows that anybody who served time prison guards you, you carry yourself when you walk around the exercise yard in a particular way and when you've done that for years and years and years you take on a particular you know I I still today walking down the street see somebody walking in front of me and it reminds me because of the way they take a step because of the way they drop a shoulder because of the way they nod their red or just the way they move it reminds me of somebody who walked in front of me around an exercise yard year after bloody year so you kind of build up a a kind of repertoire of, of the movement of man is what I would say how have you been able to sort of shake that or, or don't you shake it? And have you been able to shake your own persona? Because there's no doubt you've built, you know, you went in when you were a young man, you've come out, you know, almost twice the age you went in. So how do you shake that, that kind of persona that you build that helped you survive and navigate prison? I think I'm still trying to actually shake it off. To be honest, I think some people, You've tried to com- com- communicate with me. I kind of like keep them at arm's length because, as I say, when you're in prison, you have you're suspicious about everything that actually goes on because you don't know. Some people could be looking for weakness and might try and use you. You know what I mean? So, I've I've found it's been hard because I think some people still see in me that this this image. You know what I mean? Like you're not. It's, I've had quite a few times family saying, "Look, you're not in prison." You can be yourself, but I, I can't really say what is me. You know what I mean? Because some people look at me thinking, you're not what you portray, which is right. You know what I mean? So some people say, look, you come out with a tough exterior. You're not tough. You've got a soft heart and all this, that and that. So I'm still trying to find me. You know what I mean? So I haven't got rid of that stuff about jail completely. 
And and that is totally understandable. And only you can do that in your your own time. You you may need help in many different ways. And I suppose people will get frustrated with you because they've not endured what you've endured. Where did it all start, Ray? You know, what was you in prison for? Just walk me through what you was in prison for, what your sentence was. I was arrested for a betting shop murder on Lodge Lane in Toxteth on the 16th of March, 1981, at 1.30 in the afternoon. I was given a life sentence at Liverpool Crown Court. This is the old Crown Court, which used to be St George's Hall. In December 1981, I was given life with the recommendation of 15 years and six years for the robbery. That was in 1981. You had a co-defendant, Johnny Kamara, and I, I met Johnny and sat down and had a coffee with him on, on many occasions. And he was such a, um, a an interesting character. Every other word that came out of his mouth was fucking this and fucking that. He was an angry man. Johnny had his conviction quashed in 2000. So I think after 19 years, you didn't. You carried on for another, I think, 16 years why didn't you have your conviction quashed? I mean, let, let, let's make this clear for the listeners. Johnny's convicted of the same crime as you, sentenced to, I think, 12 years as a recommendation rather than 15 years. But eventually his conviction was overturned. Yours wasn't overturned at that appeal. Why is that? He actually found an alibi to substantiate that he wasn't there. The undisclosure of 201 witness statement helped him and also helped me. Then the, the appeal court also said that my confessions were not worth the paper they were written on. If the confessions were, were deemed unreliable and there was no idea or nothing else to link any of us to the case, my conviction should have been squashed there and then. But unfortunately, they dis- decided that in one instance... It's not re- reliable, but in other instance, it is. So it's like they decided to give it like an adverse decision. As, as the Court of Appeal often do. It's going to be very difficult for the listener to get their head around the, the nitty gritty details, as these cases always have. When you were arrested and charged with the murder and um, taken to a police station, it's my understanding that at some point, during your interrogation, you confessed to the crime. If you didn't commit the crime, which is what you're saying to me today, why did you confess to the crime at the time? I was uh, abused by the police. I was absolutely, for the first time in my life, I was absolutely shit scared. I've been in police stations before, nothing have ever happened before. You know what I mean? I always put my hand up to it. I was... Vulnerable person who wasn't functioning properly as a person. Now, this is only, as I say, come to light through psychological reports that have been done. I was diagnosed with a development, a disturbed personality when I was about eight or nine because I was, I was in care. I actually don't know whether I was functioning properly then. So I'm in, in the police station. Nobody knew I was there. I wasn't allowed access to a lawyer or a nothing. So I had these two police, one playing the good cop, one playing the bad cop, and all they were interested in, it's you. They, they actually showed me photo fits 
which didn't look like me, but you were going, that's you and that's your mate. From the information we've got, you're the heavy man, he's the bad man. And I'm like that, where did you get this fucking from? And then I was jumped on, me and the copper struggled to the floor, and then they, they left, come back and said, this is how you uh, attacked them. You know what I mean? I'm thinking, nah, 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 I haven't done it. But you know what? I put my hands up to it, yeah, for something I didn't do. Did you retract that confession? I retracted it. As soon as I had access to a lawyer, I retracted it. And what happened at the trial? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding that when you were at trial, you at some point pleaded guilty. Is that right? Yes. I was in the process of giving evidence in my own defence. And in St. George's Hall, we were both in different cells, but next door to each other. So where there used to be a bench in the pad like that, there used to be holes in the bench where you could communicate with each other. So we were speaking to each other and it it come out of the blue. I didn't expect it. He said to me, if it it get cleared, you're okay. If it get found guilty, you're gonna, gonna get killed. So basically down to him, he's put a seed in my head and I went and changed my plea because I didn't want no trouble with these two. These were heavy. These had heavy contacts inside. They could do whatever they wanted. So based on is saying to me, blah, 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 I put my hands up to fucking something that I haven't done. You say that your confession in the police station and your plea of guilty at the original court trial were both under duress, you know, different types of duress, first the police and then, you know, the threat of of dying by the hands of, of known criminals. Why should people believe that? Why should people believe that you would do such a thing, knowing that the consequence of your action on both occasions could result in you spending a very long time in prison? Uh, You know what? All I can say is to people out there, I did not do it. I was not there. I was in bed with a girl at the time in a place called Mill Street, above a shop, when this crime happened. It wasn't me. And yes, I was forced to accept the confession under duress. I was put under duress at trial to actually change my plea to help him because of the circumstances of what had gone on previously between me and him. During the the years that you were in prison, was there ever an occasion where you accepted your guilt? No. Did you ever attend any of those sort of um, rehabilitation, anger management type courses where you had to accept responsibility or guilt in order to progress through the system? No, I was told I could attend courses, but the minute I discussed the case, I would be taken off. The case wasn't an issue. I think 2000 and I think it was probably 2000 and something before I actually did an actually first course. I think it might have been 2008, 2010, something like that. Did you appeal against your conviction? I had. I appealed in the 80s and got refused. I then sent applications to the CCRC on several occasions. And they rejected your applications. How many physical appeals did you have? And by that, I mean how many times... 
did you stand up in front of appeal court judges and declare your innocence? No, I haven't been to an actually appeal court myself. I actually sent it to the appeal court in 82 and they re- rejected it based on the papers. And when your co-defendant, Johnny Kamara, had his conviction quashed in 2000, were you not part of that appeal hearing? Nope. Why was you not part of that appeal hearing? Because he, he was fighting his case on his behalf. I was fighting the case on my behalf. So in your tariff originally was 15 years. Why did you then spend 36 years in prison? If, if you know, the punishment for the crime of murder was in your case 15 years why did you go on to spend another another 15 21 years more in prison because every time i came up for parole it was used against me because i was fighting fighting the case i'd also been to court three times more one uh, i think it was 97 something happened in whitemore block and i went in and put my hands up to it, it wasn't me i didn't get charged with it what, what happened? So, something happened in, in the block in Whitemore. I, I can't really say. Something went on in the block. Two people got charged with it. One got the case thrown out, and then the other fellow got found not guilty. No charges were ever, ever brought for that. I then went to court and got five years for the GBH in Franklin. I was charged with one of my cousins. He got found not guilty. I got found guilty. I was accused of having hold of someone who got caught by someone else. So I got found guilty for it. They then took me to, to trial from Durham Special Unit for slapping a female SO, open-handed slap uh, across the face. I had two trials for that. I ended up with a not guilty because they couldn't understand the psychological evidence. And then they tried to charge me again in Woodhill Special Unit for... A prison officer put it on, on my toes when he op- opened the door one day and fight ensued. And then they tried to get me charged. So we tried to counter charge them. So the CPS come back, said there wasn't enough evidence to charge him or, or uh, me. So nothing happened there. But because of my behaviour in prison, fighting the case, that five years and uh, constantly being a pain in the backside, they said... Always attacking staff, too much paperwork, sub- subversive ac- activities. That's why I actually did the 36 years. That, that makes sense then. So it, it wasn't just you not accepting your guilt that denied you your freedom. It was because of the, um, the better word, you know, your violent activity, subversiveness, whatever it was. But, you know, I suppose anybody who doesn't understand how you survive in prison, sometimes you find yourself in situations where you either take a beating or you give a beating or, you know, things happen that are beyond your c- control. You mentioned being in some of... Um, some of the prison system's most secure units, you talk about Woodhill and Belmarsh, these are maximum security prisons with prisons within prisons. Were you held under those sorts of conditions at times? I was selected for Woodhill Special Unit from Whitemore in 1998 because I'd spent that long in blocks and because they classed me as a, as a sub, subversive prisoner. It was written across my file. I was told for, after the Dartmoor prison rights in 1990 when all the prisons went up, someone had written in red across my file, this is, is a sub, subversive prisoner, give him fuck all. So they selected me 
for Woodhill 98. I have from Woodhill CSE to Hull CSE. I went from Hull CSE to Gartry Block whilst because they shut Hull down. I went back to Woodhill and then went up to Durham CSE. The old Cat A ring was created into part of the special unit. I then had the incident there with the staff. I then went to Franklin control cells. They put two control cells in certain dispersal blocks of prisoners from the CSE. And then went to Long Long Larkin control cell and then back to Wardell. After that happened, I think 2002, with the other member staff at Wardell, he then put me back out to Long Larkin control cell and then full Sutton control cell and back to Wardell. And then Diesel elected me in 2004. And, and there's all this movement between different prisons and different control cells in special units throughout the prison estate. Is it because you are a violent man, Ray, or is it because you have psychological problems, or is it something else? No, I'm not a violent man. It's, I think it's more to do that. I should do things, stupid things, that people wouldn't do. I'll probably, probably do it just to, to, to be accepted. Yes, I have psychological issues. I've been diagnosed with, when I had a report done years ago, I was scored 74, which was the cutoff point for paranoia, just under. I think the score was 75. And then I was diagnosed with all kinds of psychological personality disorders. But I've had it for years where people said, I have been damaged because of what happened to me when, when I was growing up. What happened to you when you was growing up? Well, there was all kinds of violence in the in the home, so I think it, it, it impacted on me as as I grew up. Have you been treated for the conditions that you've been diagnosed with, and are you still under any kind of therapy? No, I'm I'm not un, under therapy. I have I, I did get offered counselling when I first came home, but no, I haven't had no counselling for all the actually traumas that went on. No. Why? Why have you not seeked therapy or counselling and why has that not been part of your whole release programme? I don't know. I think I'm, I'm probably scared of what's going to come out if I do do therapy, you know what I mean? And like whatever is hidden in the subconscious that comes out, I don't know if, if, if it will destroy me or destroy others. But it can't be any worse, Ray, surely, than what your life has been through already. I mean, 36 years in prison, guilty or not guilty, you know, you spent a very long time in prison and that must have had a psychological impact and that needs to be addressed if it hasn't already been dealt with. The the, the system obviously felt that you were no longer a threat to society for them to release you because as a lifer, they can keep you in for the rest of your life if they deemed you to be a danger to society. So at least that box has been ticked that you're no longer considered a threat to society, even if in the early years or even the later years, you were deemed a subversive and, and kept in the various different blocks and segregation units around the British prison maximum security estate. So so where are you now in terms of seeking this therapy? You say you're frightened of what it might unlock, but won't unlocking those hidden fears turn you into a different person? I, I hesitate to say a better person, 
but a, a person that understands himself more? Yeah, it's quite possible. As a couple of people have said, I actually need to find me, myself. I probably would need to do it, and then I might be able to live a proper life. I'd have what, whatever I carry as a burden and baggage to actually sit down with someone and try and go through what I've gone through. I did try it once, you know what I mean? But I, I didn't actually get there because I was removed from therapy in Grendon uh, when I was there. So I didn't actually reach the areas that needed to be reached. And I suppose it's twofold. And this is a difficult question, but it's an honest question. And I suppose if while you're still fighting the fact that you were convicted of a murder that, and robbery that you say you didn't commit, if you did commit those crimes, and this would be in the eyes of the authorities, until you come to terms with that fact, and you haven't done for 36 years, and I think that's testimony to to how long you've been fighting, but until you do, if you ever did, nothing will ever change because you have this burden that you're carrying that you you didn't do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does, yeah. I think that's not the only burden. I think uh, I've got all, all the psychological issues I had as a child. I've still got facets of them in my personality I need to get rid of. Where, where, where are you at in terms of fighting your conviction? Because you spent 36 years in prison and your convictions were not quashed or overturned. You were released as a guilty man. As you stand in front of me today, you're still in the eyes of the authorities and the courts, a guilty man. So where are you at with trying to get your case back to the Court of Appeal? Well, I've got a new lawyer I've I've actually had before Christmas. Because of COVID, we haven't been able to actually see him to take documentation down. And also, we've been trying to get uh, other reports done. I mean, I've got someone who's actually working on the case, who's working on the aspect of the new evidence, which I can't really talk about, Raf, because I don't want to jeopardise what this person's doing. The father of the man that you were accused of killing, he has publicly voiced concern about your conviction. This is the the, the father of the man that died. Am I right in thinking that that's what's happened? Yeah, he has done, yes. But then he suddenly changed his mind after having a conversation with some policemen. So I don't know where he stands today because I, I don't know if he's still with us. I do know people that used to speak to him regular who have been supporting me for over 20 odd years. But you're still hopeful that 36 years on, and this is not unheard of, I mean, maybe not so much here in the United Kingdom, but in America, you know, we see it all the time, people who spend 30, 40 years in prison or even people that have spent most of their life on death row have their convictions overturned. But am I right in thinking that, until you were released and probably still now, you were the longest serving prisoner complaining of being a miscarriage of justice victim. I was, yes. Uh, un, un, until I, I got released, yes, uh, I, I probably was. 
Why, yes. why don't you just move on? Why don't you just get on with your life, Ray, and just push this behind you? Because you've done the time now. Um, people don't believe you or, or people do believe you. Um, doesn't it get in the way of you just seeing out the rest of your life? You, you know, you're in your 60s now. Getting on with your life, surely that's one of the most important things at the moment. Getting on, on with, with my life is, is important, yes. But you know what? There's that burden around the neck knowing I didn't do it, despite what people might think. You know what I mean? I, I know people have to see what's gone on. They'll read stuff. They'll, they'll have an, an opinion, yes or, or no. I want the facts out there. I want the entire facts out there, not just a one-sided sided version. People need to know what transpired from the word go. And this is prior to getting convicted. Something went on. Why it got said, I don't know. Only that person can turn around and say why they said what they said, which give the police what they call a little tenuous link to put me and the other, other fella as the two people responsible. I mean, if people look at the photo fits, it ain't me. But I can't really say who they look like, you know what I mean? Because it, it will cause serious fucking problems within you, my do, own family. Do, I, I suppose one of the pressing questions would be, do you know who committed the crime? No, I don't know who, who com- committed it. All I know is there was an argument the day before over the, I don't know if it was a forged betting slip or what, but there was an argument, threats were made, police were called, it was supposed to have been sorted. The next day, this person's found dead, and I wasn't there. It was not to do with me. In in those thirty six years that you were in prison, how, how how often did you blame yourself for your own predicament? And by that, I mean it, confessing in the police station, yeah. pleading guilty during the trial. You know, do you still blame yourself in any way for what happened to you? Yeah, I I, I do. Yeah, I take responsibility for my for what I did which helped us get convicted my question is it's a two-sided thing I have say yes I hold my hands up and yes I get a fucking abusing stick for it but I would like the other half to put his hand up and accept responsibility for what he did to help us get convicted which he hasn't done He's saying he hasn't done nothing wrong. I know different. What does the future hold for you now, Ray? I mean, you're out, you're able to move on and live your life, but you're carrying, as you say, this burden around your neck. And and by carrying that yourself, you've already recognised that it interferes with, with your relationship, whether that's with a woman, whether it's with your family and friends. So what does the future hold for you, Ray? What do you want your future to hold? I'd like my future where I find somebody that wants me for me. Whatever I've done in, in the past, they can understand. I want some, someone that believes me, someone that trusts me, someone who wants me for me. I think my future at the minute, I'd say it's bleak Un- until I actually uh, overturn my conviction and have a special person in, in my life who believes me and trusts me, I think I'll probably be on, on my own for the rest of my life. 
I suppose this is this is one of those scenarios where, you know, people will sit on the fence and there will be some people on one side who sort of say it's a travesty of justice. A man spends his entire life in prison and it's destroyed any hope of anything, whatever the future holds. And then there's the other side of the fence where people sort of say, you know, if he's guilty and did do these crimes, then he's only torturing himself and everybody else uh, uh, around him. Either way, both sides, it's quite obvious, a, a, a travesty. Um, and although we've not gone into great detail about your childhood and, and the vulnerabilities that that created in you, which, you know, people have to take into consideration may have led to you wrongfully confessing um, and and your vulnerability to to accept things that you didn't do and 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 or it could be the flip side you you know that you mentioned the violence you witnessed turned you into a violent man only you know the answers and and how difficult it must have been for you to convince people all this time that you're not the person that they say you are. Yes, it's it has been difficult, you know what I mean? Because I'm not the person who people think I am. I went away, 22, naive, young kid, didn't think about any consequences about my actions. I didn't give a damn about the world or about anyone. I blamed society at the time for what happened to me as a child. So I was just behaving whatever way possible. I didn't stop. I didn't think. I just acted. And, and didn't think about nothing. But you know what? Something like this, I did not do. Yes, I've done things in my life. I've been a petty criminal. But you know what? I did not commit murder. You know what I mean? And that's why I carry on, because I know I didn't do it. Well, it sounds like you have a legal team working on your behalf now that if things come to light that you're hoping will come to light or you can access the information that may show things are not as they appear then then you might be able to prove that point ray is there anything else that you'd like to say to my listeners before i end our chat i just like listeners you know what i'm telling you it all i did not do this crime anybody wants to help get in contact you can you can visit my facebook page you can call me on twitter you can call me on Facebook. If you really want to help and you want to see justice done, please contact me because I am not a murderer. I might be a little fucking asshole who's done things, petty things, yeah, I admit. I've done Borsal twice. I've done two sentences of YP, done one sentence of adult because I was, I was a petty criminal. But I am not guilty of murder. I did not do it. And just on the note that we often hear people talk about prison being a holiday camp, prison being a place that people can do it on their heads, upside down, daddy, daddy, done, or, or the public's perception that is often that prison is not as tough as it should be. Your, your testament to what prison is like, you spent 36 years in there in various different prisons. What would your message be to people about what prison is, is really like? Prison is no good for any anybody there's a lack of re, uh, rehabilitation inside you can only rehabilitate yourself if you want to change as a person i would not like to see 
anybody go to prison whatsoever because they're dangerous places, full of drugs, full of whatever you can think of. I would do anything to try and stop people from going to jail and going down that route of criminality. It's not a good thing. It's dangerous. I've seen people die. I've seen people commit suicide. I've seen people turn themselves into junkies and come out as junkies when they might have gone in clean. It is dangerous and it's not conducive. There's no help whatsoever inside. Once you're inside, you ain't a human being. You're just classed as a number. You're treated like shit. Some people say, hang them and flog them. I believe people should give them a second chance. If they change, fine. If you're not able to change people and they don't want to change their ways, well then, let the courts deal with that. But you know what? Some people do deserve a chance. There's people inside who have got skills that can be utilised outside here. I mean, some of the skills I've seen, you've got artists, you've got people who make stuff out of wood, matches, creative people. These people who are doing degrees in all kinds, give them the opportunity to come out and they say, might be able to teach, you know what I mean, or whatever. People deserve a chance. It's just what, about what's your chance, them- Ray? What, what's your second chance? Do, do you see your freedom as a second chance? I, I see it as an opportunity to for me to do something good. I've never done nothing good in my life apart from what occasional run for charity or sit up thing for charity. That's the only thing I've I've done good in my life. I've treated people like shit most of my life. I think I've got stuff to offer before I do fucking pass away. And I'd like to be able to help other people and keep them out and try and put get put them on the straight and narrow. I'm going to end it there, Ray. Thank you so much for, for giving me some of your time this afternoon. I, I really do appreciate it. And good luck with your campaign to prove your innocence. I hope it works out the way it should. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. Appreciate it. 36 years in prison for murder will be justice served for so many people. For others, life imprisonment for murder should mean just that, life. And there are some people who think 36 years in prison is inhumane. Imagine if Ray's innocent, like he protested. Thanks for listening to this podcast, and please follow and subscribe. It really will help keep the podcast going. And please share on social media. The aim is to upload a new episode with a new guest every week, but I need your support. If you think I should get someone on the show, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, an email or any other means you have to make contact. All the links are in the description. This episode was produced by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. And me, your host, Raphael Rowe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.